Greetings and welcome to Union Street Hoops. I'm your host, Paul Oren, and you are listening to a podcast dedicated to Valparaiso basketball and the Missouri Valley Conference. You can catch Union Street Hoops every week on NWI.com, iTunes, and SoundCloud. And once again, happy to be joined by NWI Times reporter Robbie Weinstein. Robbie, thanks for being here again. Hey, thanks for having me. It's just a good flow. We I like uh, having someone to bounce ideas off of, particularly <laughs> when, you know, normally I just spout ideas out here that alienate the fans. Uh, look, I, I think maybe I need to probably, I don't know, I don't know that I need to apologize to the fans, but I was, I think maybe I might have been guilty of drinking some Kool-Aid for a while, and uh, the Kool-Aid is, is sour right now. It is. It is. I mean, it, at the same time, we didn't, I don't think either of us uh, expected Ryan Fazekas to go and break his break his thumb. I think. Yeah. You know, what but. I mean, what a hamstrung <laughs> snake bit. Whatever kind of phrase you want to put out there for this kid, who has mono at Providence, and he's got a shoulder arm thing. He's yeah. basically his entire. I think most of his year that he sat out, he was rehabbing that. Never. I mean, he was basically away from the game for a long time. Comes back. Gets in the flow, really. I mean, he'd said to us last week that he felt like when he got hurt, he was shooting the ball in an ocean. Yeah, and he's, he said he thought I was going in every time. Going in every hand. time. Yeah. And then he uh, then he gets hurt, and then it's like, okay, can Valpo tread water until he gets back? And everything about this from Lodic over the course of the season was – we got to be healthy for the conference tournament, you know, and he said yeah. if if I think with Marcus at one point, he said if it was a conference tournament game, he'd play. But mm-hmm. we're being smart. We want to be healthy in March. And then he he a guy at Northern Iowa. I don't even know the play, but he apparently swiped at Fizikas's hand and hit his thumb, broke his thumb out for the year. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you like these bone breaks are completely fluky. Yeah. Sometimes you can, you can argue back and forth whether, you know, like muscle strains or, or sprained ankles or whatever can be avoided, but you can't avoid a broken thumb really. I mean, it came at uh, the worst possible time. Marcus Golder was, was supposedly back to, you know, as close to 100% that maybe that he can get at this point in the season. And, uh, at that point, obviously they still had a chance to, to maybe a small chance, but some kind of chance to stay out of the, the Thursday night games and, uh, it, then of course the Bradley game was a disaster, and here we are. You, I mean, any disaster you've ever encountered, you were just nice to that disaster by comparing it to the Valpo Bradley game because the Valpo Bradley <laughs> game was an abomination. Uh, it was awful. It was awful on many fronts, and we'll get to that in, in a second. We do know that Valpo is going to play Indiana State in the eight-nine game, the opening game of Arch Madness. Uh, you know, I, I. Again, I probably am guilty of railing on fans a little bit. Um, and a lot of that is probably because, you know, I, I like to take the road less traveled and I like to kind of stir up people a little bit. <laughs> I have, last year, I, I implored Valpo fans to go to St. Louis for Arch Madness. You got to be there. You got to support the team, yada, yada, yada. Look, they're playing in the opener on Thursday night. They, this could be over before it even begins. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know what to tell fans. Like, should they go? Because even if they win that, that game, then guess what? They play at noon on Friday against the number one seed. Aaron Levitt just told us earlier that uh, the alumni group at Valpo has planned an event for Saturday. That's <laughs> ambitious. That's really it's ambitious. Very, very ambitious. I mean, yeah, it, uh, Considering they've already lost to Indiana State twice, and <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> that's ambitious. Apparently, the event was planned not by the athletics department, but planned yeah. when Valpo was like five and one in conference or whatever. And again, look, 
no one could have predicted that, you know, Fizikus was going to be out for as long as he was. Golder was going to get hurt. Smits was going to have problems. Um, Fizikus was going to get hurt again. Now, I will tell you that I think when we were sitting here in December talking, I think no one really thought that this was a team that looked great. No. And then they win four of their, or five of their first six games in conference, and, uh, you know, albeit one on a fluke. But, um, you know, it, I, I don't when, when did it go wrong? Was it the <sighs> injuries? I Because mean, a lot of people are pointing at the coaching, right? Yeah. And yeah. maybe there's some validity to it. You know, but I, I was front row for the Bradley game, Robbie, and they couldn't hit a shot. Is, yeah. that, is that coaching or is that not coaching? I don't know the answer to that. I really don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I, I'm not sure either. I mean, I kind of wrote a column sort of about this. It was a good uh, column that yeah, you had today. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, well, thank you. It, it's just, uh, ne- you know, your full strength roster is one thing, but you're going to, you're not going to have your, most teams are not going to have their full strength roster for the entire year. Right. Yeah. And so you need to, you know, that's not just what matters. You need to be able to, to survive when somebody like Ryan Fizikas goes down. I think. And you made a good point about Loyola with Lucas Williamson and Drake with Nick Norton. They yeah, lose they're, they're some of their fine. better guys and they're just fine. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think the thing is, this is a little bit, especially from, it's different from Loyola in that this rebuild is not at, the same part of the arc as as you would say Loyola's is they've already gone to the NCAA tournament they've got more seasoned players whereas I think we expect Valpo to have a better roster and a better team next year I think we expected that coming into the season I certainly expect it now uh you know I I don't know if it's I, I I'm honestly not sure if it's coaching or not I think I think the roster right now is uh is lopsided toward defensive players for sure and and there's just not a lot of guys who can score and and consistently shoot the ball from the outside part of that is just because Bakari Evelyn is in a weird slump and, and it happens but yeah I mean I think you look at that uh the so the Indiana State game on the road where we thought you know based on what everybody was saying that that was about effort and maybe that individual game was but then you know two more games directly after that or actually three in a row that was part of the stretch where they couldn't get out of the 50s and I think at that point that's um ever since then you know, the offense generally hasn't been good. There's been occasions like the Illinois State game where they played really well on offense, but overall they just haven't been able to score since uh, really since you know maybe you could even go all the way back to that Loyola game. Yeah, it's it's been interesting. You know, I want to I want to touch on something I, I mentioned last week too. We, you know, I had I had, I had said that uh, I was going to go scorched earth because I was upset about this insinuation that let's get rid of Lodic and bring Bryce Drew back. That was my big point, right? <laughs> and I think a lot of people kind of took out of context what I was trying to say. Um, and that's fine. You know, that I, I, I'll own that. Um, here's the problem that I had. Like, I was at the Bradley game, and I was talking to some fans against uh, Valpo at the game, and they said, ah, I don't like Lodic. He's trying to build his program through transfers. You can't do that. And hey, I thought, That's how you need to do it. And I thought – uh, I'm, I'm going to list off a lot of names that may sure, not yeah. mean a lot to you because you weren't here at the time, but like Valpo built a lot of players through transfers too before Will Bogan, Ben Boggs, Bobby Capobianco. These were all Trent Levante Doherty, Jordan Didn't Coleman. Keith Carter was a transfer. Keith Carter. Right? Yeah. These are all guys that were kind of brought. Shane Hammock. These were guys that were all brought in as transfers. So, you, I mean, building through transfers is what happens a lot. You know, it's it. Now, I will say that Valpo went to the NCAA tournament when Ryan Brokoff was a senior, and his freshman year, they brought in 
Brokoff, Matt Kenny, Tommy Kurth, Chris Halverson, they brought in a big freshman class. And when Alec Peters, his group went, they brought in a big freshman class of so Peters, Jabrilana Koya, Nick Davidson, Lexus Williams. So getting to the point where you can bring in a big freshman class and have them grow together is good, but all both eras of those teams were supplemented by transfers. And so now you look at a Aaron Gordon and Nick Robinson who are going to come in next year, and I know part of one of the reasons why Valpo's struggling this year, you pointed it out in your column, is that, you know, you don't have a full roster because you've got two guys that are sitting out. Sure, yeah. And this fan that I talked to at Bradley, passionate fan, not criticizing at all, but really kind of went on to say you can't build through transfers. And I get that, but let's not act like the previous guy in that office didn't do that exact thing. And Homer Drew did that exact thing, too, when – you know, bringing in Dave Redmond, Casey Schmidt, all these guys back in the day, a long time ago. Like, this is the, the this is the problem I have with. I'm all for Lodic is maybe out of his element a little bit, sure, but the idea that he's so bad compared to the other guys, it seems like a revisionist history thing, and that's the part that I get upset about when I see people criticizing Lodic for things that the previous staff did too. They brought yeah. in transfers. They they had guys sit out. You know. And the injury problems that Lodic has had to deal with, the Drews don't scratch the surface of that at any point during their time here. They had one situation where Keith Carter dislocated a toe and was out for a long time, but they had a much deeper roster that mm -hmm. year because, again, they didn't have guys sitting out because of transferring. Criticize the on-court stuff all you want to, but I do think there's a lot of grief that Lodic catches that is just not fair. Yeah, I, I think it's hard to, I mean, I think it's hard to judge Lodic to, you know, like, and get really fired up about it, at least from my perspective, until you see what he does when this rebuilding project is kind of to the point where you should, like next year, maybe be one of the favorites in the Valley, and you would expect them when these guys are sophomores, juniors, seniors, to fight for an NCAA tournament berth. If at that point, yeah, it's still not happening, then I get it. But, I mean, I think... I also understand the argument about the transfers. You know, you don't want to use that as a crutch necessarily. You still need to build depth and all that through recruiting. But, you know, I grew up following Dayton basketball. I think their last seven, the, each of the last seven years, their top, their leading score has been a transfer. Uh, I mean, they've had guys from, you know, this Jordan Seibert guy from Ohio State who led them to the lead eight. I mean, you, you need, that's how you get four-star recruits if you're a mid-major school is you wait for them to basically not get playing time at bigger schools yeah. like Aaron Gordon, and uh, and then they, they transfer in. Or, you know, I mean, Nick Robinson maybe wasn't a four-star recruit, but uh, now you know that effectively he is you know, he is kind of a premium uh, player for a tra or a transfer for a mid-major to get because he was productive at another, another similar school in a similar league. So I, I think... I don't. I think it's important to bring transfers in who can who can uh, add stuff, especially offensively, and, and create offense and fill some holes that the team doesn't uh, doesn't currently have filled. You know, you'd like to. Obviously, it would be better if if Valpo had been able to have a more you know filled out roster this year. But it does take some time. I mean, this is effectively the second year of this rebuild uh, because uh, you know just because uh, Lodic had the really good team the first year when he came in. So. I don't. And know. I, think, I, think, I think transfers are important. I think maybe the 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 word that you're using a lot that people around Valpo and and again 
we're, I'm, I'm love having you on the podcast. And one of the things that I've heard people say is, oh, he's great on the podcast. It's good to have an outsider's perspective. You're using the word rebuild a lot. And I think there's a lot of people around Valpo who are like, why do we need to rebuild? And it's, but like you do. Uh, yeah, like, you lost the coach. Valpo I mean, went to the NCAA tournament with Ryan Brokoff and they rebuilt their team the next sure, year. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, you know, people act like Valpo is supposed to go to the NCAA tournament every year. And that's great. They've gone twice since 2004, right? For a long time, they went every year because they had really, they tapped into Europe when nobody else did. And they had amazing players. And they also played in a conference that would get you yeah, a Yeah, that's, another, that's another big one is, is I think um, it takes time to adjust to, to yeah. the conference. It takes a few years to make sure that your roster from senior class to the freshman class is Missouri Valley caliber. It, and, it takes a while. And I'm not saying that Valpo fans shouldn't be pissed no, off. No, yeah, no, I'm not either. That I mean, game at Bradley was rock bottom. Oh, uh, yeah. It, Hence the title of the podcast, and like I, Yeah, bottom. and like I said in, in the column is that, I mean, I think, maybe I didn't directly say this, but they need to, what, what has it been, 3-10 and 10 without Fazekas now, or 3-9? and nine four, Yeah, 4-11, four, four something four, like that. I mean, they probably need to do better than that, I think. Uh, this isn't a league, as we've talked about, that has one or two dominant forces. I mean, I think the talent level at Valpo is you know, pretty close to on par with, with the rest of these teams. So, I mean, you know, I, I get that they're not going to be as good without Fazekas, but uh, the drop-off has been more severe than, than what it probably needs to be. One of the things we talked about last week, and one of the things that is a continuing conversation around Lodic is, uh, is he making excuses or is he giving facts? I think a lot of times it's difficult. Like, when we go and yeah. we talk to him, we ask him questions, and I know the answer is going to be, you know, could be a excuse or it could just be a fact. I mean, the fact of the matter is, and I know that Derek's averaging more than Fazekas, but let's be honest, if Fazekas was healthy, he'd be the leading scorer. Yeah. They're without their leading scorer. And he said today when we met with him, he said, if you take the leading scorer off any team in the Valley, they're going to struggle. Now, some people, depending on where you fall on Lodic, you might hear that. You might say, oh, he's making an excuse. Or you may hear that and you may say, yeah, you're right. If you took the leading score off of any of these teams, they would struggle. I mean, you took the third leading score off Loyola, I think, in Williamson, and they struggled a little bit. I mean, yeah. every even though we can say Drake's doing great without Norton, let's be honest. The winner of this conference is going to have more losses than any Valley winner has ever had before. There's never been a Valley champion that's had six regular season losses. Everybody in this league has kind of struggled a bit, which, again, is that that's a fact and you know yeah. there's excuses there's facts there's stuff in the middle and i think whatever road you fall on if you want to be critical of the coach you're going to point them out as excuses if you want to maybe be closer to where i am or you try to give them the benefit of the doubt you say those are facts i don't know yeah, the answer. I, I think i definitely get where fans are coming from on that one because even if it is a fact it doesn't necessarily address it doesn't address at all really that uh you can still even though it makes it more difficult you can still underachieve Right from from where you should be without Fazekas, uh, so I I think um, that that matters. But also, uh, you know, I I don't think that this mindset of even if Lodic were making constant excuses, and I don't think he he has I don't think it have been constant. I I just haven't seen it seep into the mindset of the team. Yeah. And so, and so then why, to me, it just doesn't matter. Now, I, w yeah. I will say this. I, you know, we just came out of uh, media availability. We talked to Dion Lavender. We talked to Malik McMillan. Both guys said their morale is yeah, high. They're very, like, they're honestly kind of surprisingly upbeat, I would say, considering where things are at. They are season. very upbeat. And then I'll tell you that I had a chance. The way that the Bradley setup is, I sat right next to the bench during the game, which, yeah. as you know, for 
Valpo fans, when we are at the game at Valpo, we sit high up away from the court. So this was the first time all year that I sat right next to the bench and really got to see a lot of facial reactions that I don't normally get to see from watching it on TV or, or sitting far up. There was a lot of bad body language in that game. A lot of times a guy would get beat on a play and he would immediately point to a teammate and say, you know, you were supposed to help me or whatever. There there was a lot of uh, me play and not a lot of we play in the game, mm-hmm. to quote actually a Valpo basketball player that I talked to earlier this year that said that. And, um, I mean, I would see guys like Bakari or or or, or – uh, you know, he was the one who stood out of Dion a little bit. They'd come off the bench to go back in the game, and you just saw kind of this deer-in-the-headlights look. And when you miss 20 straight three-pointers, I guess that's bound to happen. So <laughs> whether – I mean, they're still fighting, and this is what Lodic likes to say all the time, that they're a team of fighters, and he likes them, and, and they're, they're fighting for each other. They are, uh, but I ask the question today, is it does it become a talent thing? Are they just not good enough, Right. And we can say all these guys are coming back next year, but all these guys that are coming back are 10th place, 8th place finishing, maybe ninth place finishing guys. They should be better, but maybe, I mean, they missed 20 straight three-pointers. It was bad. Yeah, yeah. I think part of, you know, when I say I think they're going to be one of the favorites in the league next year, part of that assumes that Bakari Evelyn is going to come back you know, more toward uh, where he was last year, if not all the way back to where he was last year than, than closer to it. But, yeah, I mean, I, you just look at the stats, and they're pretty easily dead last. Eh, maybe not that easily. So they're they're dead last in offensive efficiency in the conference. Uh, 94.5 points per possession, and 96.1 is, is the next. That's Evansville. I mean, 94.5, I, I, for people who don't uh, follow, you know, points per possession type of stuff, that's, that's very bad uh, for the course of the season. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think the defensive talent is certainly there, and yeah. I, I think – you know, uh, uh, if Bakari were, were playing like he did last year, they wouldn't be last in offensive efficiency. But uh, Javon Freeman, you know, he has talent, but he needs a couple more years of seasoning to get that jump shot right. It, it's not his fault, and he is already a very good player, maybe the best player on the team. Uh, and not that many 18-year-olds are super polished three-point shooters and just all-around great players. Here's what I think is maddening, and, and it's – I think it's probably easy to pick Bakari as the fall guy, and maybe he is. Maybe he's – I mean, if he plays at the level he's supposed to play at, maybe this season this team goes differently. Um, I don't know if it's on him or on Lodic. this consistent end-of-half, end-of-game lets – you know, this happened at Bradley too. This happened, I think, the – was it the, the Southern Illinois game? Or maybe the Indiana State game or something like that, where it's like ball ends up in Bakari's hands at the end of the, you know, he's not, Saki's the one bringing the ball at the court. Javon Freeman Liberty's the guy bringing the ball at the court. But then end of possessions, it's or end of half, it's almost always Bakari who ends up dribbling the ball around. At Bradley, going into half yes, or the other day, Javon Freeman Liberty brings the ball up. They pass it over to Bakari, and it's like, the other four guys are invisible on the team and he dribbles it around and chucks up some shot that's never going to go in and Bradley ends up getting the ball back or something like that. It Should he even be on the floor at these end-of-half situations when clearly he's he's struggled? Now, that said, I didn't. I think he forced overtime earlier this year against Missouri State or something like that when he, he hit one of these shots. But yeah. it, it, it it's... Is it bad coaching from Lodic that you continually put Bakari out there, or is it stubborn coaching from Lodic that just continually he wants to see 
the guy who currently is a shell of the player he was last year. Yeah, it's hard hard to say because then the alternatives, I guess, are Daniel Sackey, who teams are not going to really respect his jump shot at the end of the game, or I guess Deion Lavender, same problem there, although uh, he's, as we've seen this year, been able to figure out ways to be effective offensively even without that. You know, another game uh, uh, at the end of regulation against Indiana State, the ball was in Bakari's hands and, and he missed a three. That was the play where that was, Javon that Freeman was the got one, the yeah. offensive rebound and, and just missed. So I... You know, it's it's tough to say because they w- would want the ball in Fizikas's hands. Yeah, and, right. And you can't you can't do that. And you can't turn. do that. So not, with, I, not with only uh, one opposable thumb. Yeah, it, I mean, it's it's. I'm not sure the options are that great at this point when everybody's pretty much hurt. Best offensive player is not not available, and uh, you know, John Freeman Liberty is is a freshman who um, who is not as you know he's just not at his peak in terms of he's going to be better two years from now and he's going to be better next year. That game at Illinois State was the best performance I've seen from a freshman. Yeah, it was great, but it's hard to be consistent as yeah. an 18-year-old. And, and then I, I'm watching, you know, I, I, I'm at the Bradley game, and I think, you know what, it's time for Javon to do his Superman thing. But, yeah. I, you know, I don't know that as an 18-, 19-year-old that you can just dial that in. If he was, then he would be a four- or five-star recruit, and he would be, you know, playing for, I don't know, Kentucky or something there I mean there were games we I mean we can go back and and you know oftentimes we look at at Alec Peters as kind of like the guy that we've uh you know is is the basis for a lot of things out there he dropped 30 points at Evansville in his fifth college game he went scoreless at Detroit he had four points at Milwaukee or against Milwaukee I mean there there were games that he just didn't do it I mean there's this idea that the further away you get from someone's career, the more amazing of a. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were there was like a month long stretch there where Peters didn't crack more than twelve points in a game, and so it's hard as a freshman to to do this night in and night out. I mean, he dropped thirty multiple times, dropped twenty nine late in the year against UIC in the conference tournament, and uh, but there were a lot of clunkers that year. Well, Freeman I, will be better. Yeah, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Peters was a more polished, came in as a more polished offensive player. I would say Freeman is is a superior defensive. Player. I you know I agree. I agree. Um, we don't have that much time left. I want to take a moment here. Actually, one one more point that I wanted to make about Lodic and, and Valpo. We asked him. I asked him a very interesting question today. I tried to get him to uh, correlate, rank, whatever you want to say, Fizikas being out and how crippling it's been to the team to Joe Burton leaving or being gone for half the year last year and Jabril Adekoya being gone for half the year the year before. Whatever you want to say about Lodic, whatever you want to say about Valpo's last three years, uh, I think it's fair to say that they have had they've had the aces taken out of the deck. You know, or yeah. or or some, or maybe the kings or the queens or whatever. Like they're not been playing with a full deck, and it's been. You can put all the prep work you want into the off season, but when you suddenly don't have one of your stars, you're. I mean, and again, Jabril was not the leader of that team. He was the emotional heartbeat of that team, and a really great mismatch in the post. Uh, that changed the way they played. And when you take Joe Burton out, they expected to be the leading scorer. That changed the way they played. And when you take Fazekas out, it changes the way you play. Now, are they changing the way that people want them to be changing? No, they're struggling, right? But um, he he said they were all big losses. I, I tried to get him. To, I wanted him to put them in order for me. He was never going to do that <laughs> because, he, you know, he's, he's not that kind of guy. But uh, it is interesting. We got a little bit of time left. 
We obviously got one conference game left. Uh, there will be a, we'll, I'll, I'll do a Union Street hoops before the conference tournament, and then I'm going to be in St. Louis. I'll have updates every day there, at least every day. Valpo is playing, um, but the conference uh, all conference tournament. They're all excuse me all conference awards are uh, are going to come out next week. And uh, is it Marcus Towns the player of the year from Loyola? Does it matter who wins the league? Is I I think it might. I mean I could be convinced to take Nick McGlynn from uh, Drake. From Drake. I, I would probably lean toward Marcus Towns. I know that, um, I mean, you could maybe argue that, well, certainly Cameron Crutwig has had a more, probably a more efficient offensive season, but I don't think he's as good of a defensive player as Towns. So Yeah, and for I, me, that's where Towns kind of, this, like the Loyola guys love Cameron Crutwig, like the, the reporters that cover them and everything like that. Um, to me, so I've I have filled out my I, I'm voting this year. I have filled out um, the framework of my ballot that I don't know that a lot will change in the final day of the season, but I've got Towns, Nick McGlynn, Tulio De Silva from Missouri State, Cameron Crutwig as the top four players, and I think it's a pretty distant top four for me. Yeah, like meaning there's a bit of a fallout after four. And then I've got Armand Fletcher from Southern Illinois. I kind of, you know, I never consider what happens in the non-conference. And he was mm-hmm. suspended for a lot of the non-conference. I don't know what happened. Um, but he's been, and he's missed all but, or he's missed two conference games. He's been very good. I've got him at five, Malik Yarborough at six, Tyreek Key at seven, A.J. Green at eight. Uh, Phil Fain at nine and Daryl Brown of Bradley at 10. Those are my top 10 guys. Um, Josh Webster from Missouri state has got the, is really one of the best point guards in the league. He would be on my third team with Brady Ellingsworth of Drake. Uh, I, I looked at a top 15. I didn't have a Valpo player on there. Now I can't vote for Valpo players cause I cover the team, but I mean, a Valpo player wouldn't crack the top 10, right? Uh, I, I don't think so. No. I mean, I think Fizikas would have, potentially yes. if, if he had been able to play the full conference season especially because they would have been higher in the standings it's a weird year for this because i just you know so you normally take into account how good the team is right but uh there's not a lot of difference obviously obviously between uh, illinois state which is seventh place right now or or what i i mean i guess there's a tie for fourth and between four teams at nine and eight that go from are going to go from four to seven so i it it, it is I guess you can't give as much like it makes sense to, you know, maybe Tyreek Key is an example of a guy who you do uh, penalize a little bit because his, his team is going to be toward the bottom. And there, there is some separation between Indiana State and, say, Southern Illinois and Bradley. But, yeah, I, I probably would lean toward Armand Fletcher right now uh, as that number five guy, like you said. But um, I, I kind of like Daryl Brown also. I really like Daryl Brown's game. Yeah. And when he checked into the game, they started their seniors, Valpo started off in, with a lead against Bradley the other night because they started their seniors, a couple of walk-on, former walk-on guys. But they put Daryl Brown in there, and he's just he's really, really yeah. good. Uh, 48% from three in conference play. That's pretty powerful. That's, yeah. that's hard to stop. And they started off so poorly, and I don't know. I mean, going into the conference tournament, I don't know that anybody wants to play Bradley right now. And they got a big test on Saturday against Loyola. I've got A.J. Green as the freshman of the year. D.J. Wilkins right behind him. Uh, I can't vote for Javon Freeman Liberty, but I would put him either two or three right up there yeah. with Wilkins. AJ Green's going to win the award. Um, all newcomer team there, I would probably have Freeman Liberty on that. But Tulio Da Silva to me is the newcomer of the year. AJ Green right behind him. 
I like Josh Webster and Brady Ellingson, again from Drake. DJ Wilkins also on that list. Uh, Coach of the year, Darian DeVries. DeVries? DeVries? I don't know how to pronounce his name. I'm not sure either. The Drake coach. (laughs) Uh, He and Dana Ford are like 1A and 1B for me. And then you have to list three. I list Ben Jacobson because – you know, AJ Green is talented. I think that's is, fair. Yeah. Is a freshman, and and they're 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 riding a freshman. Uh, sixth man of the year, Spencer Haldeman from Northern Iowa. Nate Cannell from Bradley. Right after that, Spencer Haldeman is is uh, is really a, a, an excellent bench guy for Northern Iowa. Then all defensive team is interesting. I don't, you know, like I'm not. I don't perceive myself to be smart enough to look at defense and figure out i look at who the leading blocks guys are who are the best rebounders steals all of that uh nick mcglynn to me is is a really good defensive player elijah childs is up there ryan Krecklow from is a good guard from missouri state but a guy mm-hmm. that a lot of the missouri valley conference fans seem to be selling is uh, isaiah brown at northern iowa and i mentioned this to some guys uh you know and they were like yeah know if, if Isaiah where where he falls they're a good defensive team and he's probably the best defender on a good defensive team but what yeah. do you think defense wise I actually think um you know it, he doesn't play enough minutes to uh, probably be on the actual all defense team it's only five players right yeah, yeah so but you probably can't crack it but but we'll see maybe next year I know you can't vote for him either is is Jay Soroya I think he's the I think he might be the best defensive center so, in the league, but he just doesn't play enough. Yeah, so to... I actually think Javon Freeman-Liberty and Jay Soroya are two of the best defensive players in the league. Yeah. And I would definitely put Freeman-Liberty on yeah, the that's, defensive that's team. That's less competition on like at the guard spots, and I think, also. There's actually talk about could Freeman-Liberty be defensive player of the year. He's leading the league in steals. Yeah. I can't vote for him. I'd put him there, I think. Um, I'd also put Derek Smiths on the all-improved team. Yeah. Uh, Tyreek Key, I think, is the the most improved player mm-hmm. in the league. I'd put Smiths on there. Luke McDonald, I think, of Northern Iowa. K.J. Riley of Evansville and Elijah Childs of Bradley. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see how these awards shake out. But, uh, I mean, I think it's clear that the only hope for Valpo here is to get Freeman Liberty on the all-newcomer team, all-freshman team, um, and then uh, all-defensive team. Maybe Defensive Player of the Year, but he's young. I would imagine the, the league will move toward a, a Nick McGlynn older yeah. guy and then Freeman Liberty would probably be the the front runner next year. That make, that makes sense. I mean typically for defensive player of the year type of stuff, big men get a little bit of an advantage, which makes sense because they're involved on more plays defensively. So So Valpo and Evansville on Saturday, senior night, we asked uh, senior day, senior afternoon, asked uh asked Dion Lavender what kind of speech he was going to give, a long one, short one, and he looked at us and said I didn't know I was supposed <laughs> to give a speech. Uh, and then joked with him that previous speech guys have proposed or announced pregnancies, and uh, it was the same guy. And uh, he said, no, my girlfriend doesn't even go here. So um, it's interesting, as we wrap up this this episode of Union Street Hoops, Valpo's got a game on Saturday. It's going to be a game that happens. There's going to be a winner and a loser, and then nothing's really going to matter in that game. It, it's like... Would you be spending all your time looking at Indiana State right now? Or and we asked Lodic this, and Lodic said the same thing he's been saying all year. We're trying to get better every day. We want to. The players talked about how they want to win this and build momentum. And uh, you know, I just to me, I would wrap the guys in bubble wrap and play Langston Stalling twenty five yeah, minutes in yeah, this game. Yeah, yeah, I definitely. I mean, if this were the NBA, that's what would that's what Absolutely. would happen for sure. Uh, so. I mean, if I were if I were Lodic, I would definitely be maybe not telling anybody about it, but I would be looking at a lot of Indiana State film over the next uh, couple of days. I mean, that's because 
Yeah, that, that's the game that matters. I guess maybe it helps to try to get to 500, but at the same time, you would need to win two, I think, yeah. ter- um, MVC tournament games to get there. So You know, the way I look at it is that the result of the Evansville game is not going to be talked about in the totality no, of the no, season. No, it won't be. I don't know what Valpo has to do in St. Louis, and this is something we'll explore next week. I don't know what they have to do in order to change people's perceptions of the year. Maybe it's so maybe we're, we're, we've jumped the shark and maybe we can't. But uh, you know, if they beat Indiana State and they get the right matchup, I think Missouri State is a team that Valpo. They've shown they can beat them. They beat them at Missouri State. Uh, I, I think you know you if you can win some games. You might have a chance. But again, the name of this episode is Rock Bottom, and that's where Valpo is right now. They had the worst offensive performance in 18 years. Earlier this year, I was choosing to look through the glass was half full, you know, like, and now I... I, It's hard to after a game like that. Maybe it's just best for... uh, There's a line in Ocean's 13 where, uh, where Pacino says... Uh, if, if Ruben was too stupid to see what was coming down the pipe, he doesn't belong here, and he should just roll over and die. And maybe that's what the Valpo team should do. They're not. They're fighters, according to Matt Lodick. So maybe there's still a heartbeat left. It's faint, but maybe it's yeah. still there. I don't know. Yeah, I I, I think, uh, and again, the odd thing is that even if they lose to Evansville, I don't know if we completely know the, question, know the answer to that question because then they could come out with a lot more fight uh, uh, on Thursday. So yeah. I, I do agree that if it's, I would be, if I were a Valpo fan, I would be rooting for Missouri State because uh, I think that's a good matchup. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess the way, the one thing about the MVC this year is that you never, you really never know what's going to happen. You don't know when, you know, Loyola is going to go lose by 20 points to somebody uh, back earlier in the year when they were actually healthy. So I, I'll, we'll end with this. A lot of times with mid-major basketball, we say it all comes down to one weekend in March. And quite literally... It really does. <laughs> it really does. So everything that happened leading up from that opening game against Concordia Chicago to this meaningless game against Evansville, it's all, it's all colored bubbles. It doesn't matter. It all comes down to what happens in St. Louis. And for all the pitfalls, and, and I believe Malik McMillan said earlier today, the trials and tribulations... All of that goes out the window if Valpo comes out and wins a handful of games in St. Louis. And if Valpo gets ran off the floor against Indiana State, then those are bigger conversations to have. Yeah, they are. That that game is going to, you know, and it leaves it as the, potentially the last game of the season, certainly the last group of games at, you know, in St. Louis, the last group of games of the season. That's going to be uh, the final taste in the mouths of these players and the fans. So that's... Uh, Maybe, maybe there is uh, more to the season and, and what we'll remember, remember it for, but we don't know whether it's going to be positive or negative. That's correct. All right, Robbie, pleasure again having you here. Really enjoying it. And uh, Valpo and Evansville in a game that will determine jersey color at Arch Madness for the yep. Crusaders. And, uh, and, and we'll see. And then uh, next week we we'll back Union Street Hoops to talk everything Arch Madness, looking at some of the struggles Valpo's had in recent conference tournaments. They haven't won a conference tournament game in several years. Uh, it, it'll be exciting. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for following along. Go to nwi.com for all your Crusader basketball updates. Thanks a lot, Robbie.